When Ellen died, I lost everything. Until that dog arrived on my doorstep. A final gift for my wife. In that moment, I received some semblance of hope. And your son took that from me. Stole that from me. Killed that from me! People keep asking if I'm back. And I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Operation. We don't need bigger knives. Welcome to Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. To him, this isn't vengeance. This is justice. Hosted by Justin. You wanted me back. I'm back. Jacob. Are you here on business, sir? Afraid so, Francis. And Arnie. You look good. And here I'd feared you'd left all this behind. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. So I guess you have a choice. Do you want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Listener discretion is advised. We're not going in like the old days. Just a conversation. Nothing's ever just a conversation with you, John. What kind of strangers are we down? Today we're discussing John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, starring Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry, Lawrence Fishburne, Mark Dacascos, Asia, Kate Dillon, Lance Reddick, with Angelica Houston and Ian McShane, directed by Chad Stahelski. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, and let us begin. I am the throne, baby, but you could call me Jacob. I have served... And I will serve. This is Justin. We are back to John Wick. And wow, when we reviewed the second one, we're like, yeah, the first one had some legs. The second one is expected to do fairly well for a early spring, late winter release. Now it is a summer movie that is going to topple the Avengers out of its number one spot. Yeah, I was reading predictions 50 to 60 million opening weekend. That's huge. Every showing, almost, I had to pick three different showings so I could finally find two seats together so my wife could sit next to me. I mean, packed theaters. I couldn't believe it because I bought tickets for this the day they went on sale. There were no IMAX tickets for John Wick. And then all of a sudden, Avengers was no longer in IMAX. And for one week only, until we're usurped by Aladdin, John Wick 3 in IMAX. So that's where I went and saw it. And yeah, packed theater. Well, I kind of waltzed into an early 5 o'clock showing, and it wasn't packed, but there was quite a few people there for 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I saw 1 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and I couldn't believe how many other people did the same. (laughs) I think maybe they walked in thinking it was Avengers. (laughs) Are you people lost? (laughs) Also, this one has a title, Chapter 3, Parabellum. At first, I thought that was something that my doctor had to check, but no, I didn't look it up. It is a name for an automatic firearm and also from the Latin phrase that means to prepare for war. Yeah, they'll call it out at one point in this movie, and I guess the rules are you got to roll credits then. But yeah, they'll say it with some subtitle so you know what it means. When I saw that there was a subtitle, I got a little bit of a Resident Evil vibe here. It's like, uh uh-oh, we're going to start going with these one-word titles now, but... They still got the numbers, though. I still don't know the order of the Resident Evil movies (laughs) that I'm supposed to watch them in. (laughs) 
With Parabellum, I like the mystery of the title in like, it reminds me of the James Bond Quantum of Solace. It's like, what? Are we discussing nuclear fission? I'm not quite sure what you're <laughs> You're right, Arnie. Parabellum does have a little bit of a medical feel to it, right? Like I broke my Parabellum and it should be good in a couple weeks. Yeah, I was thinking I had to have my Parabellum removed. And <laughs> I mean, I guess it does kind of make sense though. They're expanding that title. That first film, it's a self-contained movie about a dude who loses his dog and goes on a rampage. But that second film, and I rewatched these before seeing three just to kind of refresh myself because it seems like there's pretty heavy continuity. Like you, if you remember part two, that picks up right where one left off and he goes, gets his car back. But two, really, while I thought the pacing was off and I didn't like how they cheat, which this movie is all about how Ian McShane's character cheated in that film. So I'm glad they addressed that. I wondered if this would make you retroactively change your arrow to green for that one. Well, we'll talk about it when we get to recommends. I still had pacing issues with two, but that really did build this world up of all these secret societies of assassins and high tables and all that. And so, yeah, with Parabellum, we're expanding the title and we're going to expand this universe even more where there's something higher than the high table in this one. You know, and I didn't have enough confidence in this franchise to even think that it was going to be a direct continuation. Like, it never even crossed my mind. Like, oh, the first one was what it was. The second one picked right up after it. And I didn't even think, oh, the third one will probably pick up right after that. I was just thinking, hey, yet another John Wick movie. So I didn't go back and refresh myself on these. But once I sat down and the movie started, I'm like, oh boy, I probably should at least watch two again so I knew exactly what was going on here. (laughs) So I take it you weren't excited for John Wick. You know, we'll talk about this a lot more later, but this franchise is kind of like that for me. It's like, I have never been excited about it, but I consistently enjoy it. (laughs) So it's one of those things where it just hasn't gotten a hook to me, but I'm a fan, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and I'll say my criticisms for the first two is, we talked about the gun-fu, and it's almost like very serious when you get into those action scenes. I saw the trailer for this, and John Wick's riding a horse while fighting ninjas. Yeah, I want to see this movie. I'm surprised because when I was at Toy Fair in February of this year, John Wick has entered the toy market. I didn't realize it's that more high-end adult collector market, but Hot Toys, who makes some of the best 12-inch figures, or you can call them dolls if you like, has a $200 John Wick figure. There's Mezco, who makes $100 6-inch dolls that has a John Wick. Diamond Select has a 6-inch action figure and several John Wick statues. I mean, they are franchising this like it is Avengers. I don't know if either one of you have played Fortnite, but I saw they came out with a John Wick character, so I guess if you pay your $20 or whatever, you could be him. (laughs) I don't play it, but my daughter does still sometimes. It's one of those games where it's like... It's the hot flavor and it has been, so it's not cool to play it. It's a Pokemon Go. It's gone out of fashion. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm missing out on some cultural touchstone as I've never played Fortnite, and I feel like I must now because there's Avengers characters, there's John Wick, and I just know they do this for Mortal Kombat. What is Fortnite? I don't even know, but I did see that they tease this. For the past few months, one of the Fortnite locations was John Wick's house. I'm assuming before it was blown up in part two. (laughs) So when they added John Wick the day part three came out, no one was too shocked. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a third person shooter. You can see your character and you end up on this island and things changed on this island. And last time I paid attention, there was a storm that's coming in. So it like increasingly makes the map smaller and smaller where you can play. Yeah, apparently they have, like, seasons and stuff. I don't get it. My daughter's always making fun of people who play it because of all the dances the characters do when they kill someone. Oh, yeah, I remember the lawsuits. (laughs) Yeah, Carlton. Yeah. He lost. 
<laughs> I wonder if John Wick does a dance. If I understand it correctly, they introduced these new characters for a limited time, and they're basically overpowered things that you can achieve to get in the game. It's just like God mode for a little bit. And it's also a good way to do advertising to these kids that are probably not seeing commercials anywhere else. Yeah. I, like Jacob, did rewatch part one and two. My memories were nothing but good about those films, but yet I hadn't felt compelled to come back to it. I did re-listen to our old shows, too. It's only been two years since chapter two. We thought we were all saying 2020. We thought they'd take three years to do the next one. They just turned right around and came up with another one. They also said part three would pick up years later. No, I guess they changed their mind somewhere in there. It picks up <laughs> 10 minutes later. <laughs> Though the weather's changed, it's now nighttime, we'll talk about it. <laughs> the way I found out this movie was happening was I have a friend who lived in New York working as a PA, and he was just kind of putting vague pictures on Facebook back in, it was, geez, it was around Thanksgiving of Keanu Reeves in Grand Central Station. I'm like, uh-oh, what does this mean? Another <laughs> John Wick is about to hit us. If he was in a black suit, absolutely. <laughs> So, Artie, tell us what happens in Grand Central and the rest of the movie. Give us a plot. When we last saw Keanu Reeves' John Wick, he was excommunicado, cut off from all the benefits and services of assassin life. He was literally running for his life down the streets of New York. He'd been granted one hour's head start by Winston, manager of the assassin safe haven The Continental, played by Ian McShane. The high table put a $14 million bounty on Wick's head. Wick has to use what connections he has left, so he calls in several old favors to be taken to the one who sits above the high table, the Elder. The Elder offers John to reinstate his membership in the guild and let him live, but in return, John has to cut off his left ring finger, give his wedding ring to the Elder as a sign of fealty. More, he has to do the table's bidding, taking hits for the rest of his life, and that first hit is Winston. See, while Wick was on the run, Asia Kate Dillon's character, the Adjudicator, went to New York to deliver judgment and sentence on those who helped Wick. The Adjudicator is aided by a gang of hired ninja assassins led by Zero, played by Mark Dacascos. I never thought we'd get to talk about him again. I couldn't believe who they got to play this. I can't wait to talk about it. <laughs> For her helping John get out of New York City, Angelica Houston's The Director is stabbed through the hands. For giving Wick an hour's head start, Winston is told he has to step down as head of the Continental in one week. And for giving Wick a gun with seven bullets, Lawrence Fishburne's character, the Bowery King, is told he must abdicate his throne. But the Bowery King refuses, so Zero's men cut him seven times with a sword, once for each bullet he gave Wick. John goes to kill Winston, who refuses to step down as head of the Continental, but John decides not to kill his friend, so Winston holds up in the Continental safe room while Wick and Continental Concierge Sharon, played by Lance Reddick, fight off busloads of high-table assassins. Finally, the Adjudicator and Winston come to an agreement. Winston gets to keep his role as head of the Continental, but he repeatedly shoots Wick, who falls off the roof of the hotel from the impact of the bullets. But Wick is not dead, and his broken body is picked up by a homeless-looking man who takes him to the Bowery King. They seem to form an alliance to take down the high table as credits roll. I gotta admit, I expected a movie we didn't get. One that's self-contained? I'm used to trilogies. I'm used to three-act structure. I thought for sure this would conclude the John Wick story, and we'd find out who killed his wife. <laughs> I'm still going back... <laughs> 
to the fact that his wife was poisoned by somebody. And we're going to find out who. Somebody who wanted Wick back in the life. Even though Stahelski is saying in interviews that the wife died of natural causes. Yeah, I thought she died of cancer. Well, they never say. You just see these weird flashbacks where she falls over while at a pier and then dies in a bed, but... It's vague enough that they could retcon something in there if they need to. Yes, but that is not at all the movie we get. Chapter 3, I'm now like, of how many chapters? Yeah, I'll talk about that at the end, but I did think this film was going to be where part 2 left off. John Wick on the run, excommunicado, and... All of New York or all of the world, all the assassins trying to get him. And, you know, in that first film, it sets up he got out of this life because he performed an impossible task. And I thought, oh, this is going to be an impossible task. I'm into this. I want to see how he gets out of this scenario. Yeah, and this is a great setup for our character, John Wick. It's like from what we've seen in the previous two movies, he can fight his way out of crazy situations. And what a better way to showcase that than have everybody after him for a high dollar prize. So we're about to see some awesome chases, some awesome fights. And this is all within the first 20 minutes of the movie is nothing but nonstop action. I have to say, though, that last film, he's given one hour to do whatever, get away. He's in Central Park. It's daytime. He's limping away with his dog. Cut to this film. Pouring rain, night, even though it's not 6 p.m. yet. I guess it's winter, so it's getting dark early now. (laughs) It's a little weird if you try to go from two right into three. It's a big jump in time. It feels like the Central Park scene was at sunrise because it was night. John went to his burned down house and then the concierge comes. It just it felt like a morning scene to me. And then, yeah, here it is night. But the dog, you know who I kept thinking of was Jennifer Parker. And you guys are like, who? Yeah. But that was the name of Marty McFly's girlfriend in Back to the Future, where at the end of part one. (laughs) I know where you're going. Jennifer is supposed to go to the future with Marty. And then when they did part two, they're like, what the hell are we doing with this character? Let's knock her out and leave her on a stoop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do like that little detail. Yeah, he's going around. We see John Wick. He's hiding in an alley. And Jason Manzukis. The actor, he comes out as a homeless man. I'm like, oh, he must work for Lawrence Fishburne. And yeah, he's like, tick tock, tick tock. And so he's got to run away. He gets in that cab, too much traffic. So he's like, gives the guy a gold coin. He's like, take him to the concierge. I like the concierge. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'm glad the dog's going to be safe. They got to keep the dog safe. You know, speaking of Manzukas, why do you bring in a funny guy like him to play just a homeless guy who doesn't fight or anything like that? Because he kind of looks like a homeless guy. <laughs> I know, but like, at least give him a few one-liners here or there. It's like, you could have anybody in a beard playing a homeless guy for what they used him for here. Maybe they're going to use him more later. I honestly also thought, and we'll talk about it, but I thought Lawrence Fishburne might have actually just filmed one scene for this movie when he was on part two, because as the time is ticking down on John Wick, we get to see all these characters from previous movies checking their text messages and being like, 10 minutes left, and there's one scene of Lawrence Fishburne, and I'm like, I wondered if he was like the dog. Like, did they create him in part two and not know what to do with him in this movie? I expected that would be all I'd see of the Bowery King. (laughs) Yes, I don't know what chapter we're going to have to get to when Lawrence Fishburne actually does something, but it's weird that someone, I don't know, I still think highly of him as an actor, and, and that's a draw. He barely ever shows up in the last film. He didn't do much. This film, he does even less. I think he does more in this film, and I think I like him more in this film. I like his acting a bit more in this one. But when this opening happens, I'm like, oh, we're just going to see one shot of him. I didn't realize he'd actually 
become more important to the plot. I also wondered if this was just going to be non-stop action, because what I was told is this one, the director came out in interviews, this one had more action than the last two. And I think that was one of the complaints we had about both films was some of the pacing issues. So I wondered, am I at an MMA fight? Are we just going to see John Wick fighting through the streets of New York the whole time? I didn't know how you could have more action in these films. I don't know if you guys have seen the movies The Raid. There's two of them. Very good movies. Very nonstop action. Relentless just going nonstop, but they do take little breaks here and there. Really love those movies. The main actor from those films, he did another one that came out, I believe last year, that got a lot of buzz called The Night Comes For Us, which they're like, this outrages the raid. And honestly, it was too much action. There's like a 45-minute fight scene. I'm like, no, this is too much. You got to take a break. We got to have some drama. We got to have some plot here. It's just I can't watch 45 minutes of people punching each other. So <laughs> again, I love those crank films, and those are nonstop. But there's a way to do that right and the way to do it wrong, I think. You do have to have moments of levity throughout. Now, speaking of the raid, was one of Zero's henchmen from the raid? Yes. He's the one of the main bad guys in the first one. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I thought he also played Tasu Leech in... Uh... The Force Awakens. I thought I recognized that guy. Yes. Yep. Same guy. I, You know, another little detail I noticed at the beginning of this film, I think we're going through Times Square. You remember that second film where you get that chase with the guy on the motorcycle, John Wick's in his car, and there's like a projection of a Harold Lloyd film. I believe it was Harold Lloyd on the side of a building. There is a little glimpse on one of the screens in Times Square of another. I don't know if it's the same Harold Lloyd movie, but I recognize the actor. So I guess that's a thing in the John Wick universe now. Honestly, I love New York tourism in movies. I think that when watching John Wick in 4K on my TV, New York looks better than it looks in real life. It know? looks amazing when they do some drone shots or whatever of it in this film. Yeah. yeah, they take the saturation and the contrast and it just looks so wonderful. And so I'm looking at this. I have to ask, did you guys notice a mattress firm? <laughs> <laughs> I did not. Did they have a mattress for in Times Square? Are tourists buying mattresses while on vacation? Was it having it going out of business sale? Because <laughs> they always are. <laughs> but I'm noticing him running down the streets, right? And the signs are almost always obscured or blurred. And that's a big thing in movies is that if you use a trademark or you use a logo, and it's a big problem in Times Square, if you shoot, you have to get a signed contract with every business in Times Square because you're using their logo in your film and they get to say how their trademark is used. I'm noticing no businesses. I notice a Phantom of the Opera poster that says, yep, we're in Times Square. And I notice a mattress firm sign. And I'm like, that's the one sign that comes out is mattress firm? That is the most low rent movie sponsorship <laughs> I could imagine. It's also very out of character for this world. I mean, obviously we're in America, we're in New York, we're in other real world locations, but the filmmakers have done a painstaking job to create this kind of fantastical version of things where, you know, it's not a commercialized New York. Like we've seen Times Square and you're not seeing a whole lot of logos. I mean, they've done a good job of not showing the Coca-Cola billboard and all that stuff to have mattress firm pop out. <laughs> seems like either a mistake or somebody got a good amount of coin for that. <laughs> That's the thing is, how can you film New York and not show me a Starbucks? But they figured out a way and yet I see mattress firm. <laughs> Again, with this all this world building, if you haven't seen, especially two, because I feel like that's really they really expanded this universe. You know, we were seeing the operators doing the countdown, you know, five minutes until John Wick is open game on him for $14 million contract. And so, yeah, and like you said, Arnie, 
you're seeing all these different characters get ready to go after this huge contract. And it really does build tension. I'm like, why does he want to get to the library? Is that because no one goes to libraries anymore? Does John Wick just want to hide out there? <laughs> I figured there was something there. Again, I love New York tourism. Because of Ghostbusters, when I went to New York for the first time, the New York Public Library was one of my first stops. So I wondered what was going to happen there. I honestly wondered if that's where the operators were because we cut from all of these suicide girl tattooed operators and he goes up to the front of the library and there's this like striking red haired older lady. I'm like, I thought she was going to be, yeah, part of that secret society. I don't think she is. No, but I thought maybe he was going there for some reason. I mean, it looked like he was in an impossible situation. I didn't know how you even continue the story, how you get out of the story. Is this a story just of survival? We talked last time about the Warriors and how they were just trying to get home and get through all the gangs. But John Wick has no safe home. Wherever he goes, the High Table's assassins are after him. He goes to get a book, The Russian Folktale by Alexander Afanasy. I can't say that last name. No one can say it because that book's got gold coins. It's got all this stuff for John Wick in it, a picture of his wife. No one's checked that book out. <laughs> that is a real author, though. But this book does not exist. <laughs> Arnie, you and I have spent a lot of time in the arcade series. And this movie is starting to feel like the best video game movie we've ever reviewed. This would work very well as a game. I mean, you have objectives to get to. You have little loot crates you can go find to start your next mission. You know, this is playing very much like a game that I'd like to play. What was funny to me is I was thinking the exact same thing in boss battles. When I rewatched all three of these movies, I watched three John Wick movies in two days. And what you realize is you've got a level and in the level, you've got a whole bunch of goons and... A lot of times the goons' faces are even covered, and I believe maybe they're using the same stuntmen again and again, which is, again, why you also cover faces in video games, so you don't have to render all of these human faces, but you're always fighting through these henchmen to get to a boss battle, and that is definitely the motif we see here. And I'm going to say, this movie tells you right away, we're going to be more brutal, we're going to up our game. We may have killed some people with a pencil in that last one, but this opening fight, I mean, the audience was just groaning and in shock. Audibly, you could hear them like being repulsed by some of the moves in this fight as a giant shows up to fight John Wick. He's still got like, what, 10, 15 minutes before it's 6 p.m. But this guy's like, ah, no one's going to know. Let's fight. This is an NBA player. Oh, okay. I don't know the Philadelphia 76ers team, but it's Boban Marjanovic, and he has the largest hands in the NBA. And you know what that means? <laughs> Big gloves. <laughs> Yeah, it, this did kind of feel like a throwback to, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fighting Bruce Lee type of thing. It's like, oh, we're going to get somebody who's not known for being in fighting movies, but they look impressive on screen. So, yeah, let's give him a scene. I guess the reason Stahelski did this is he really liked the fight with the sumo wrestler last film. Just a complete difference in size where Wick is so much smaller. So since he did wide, now he was going to do tall. But to go to the video game thing, modern video games are so much different than when I grew up because whenever you put in a video game now, the first level is like a training level where you've got somebody walking you through, showing you the buttons, and yet you're still playing the game. That's what this one-on-one -on -one fight kind of sounded like to me. Like, this is the fight where it's like, press A to grab the book. 
press B repeatedly to shove it in his mouth. I mean, he basically curb stomps him, but with a book. When he puts that book in his mouth and just starts pounding it and then puts the book on the desk and snaps his neck over it again, the audience was aghast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this scene is worth dwelling on a little bit because one of the things that we all liked from the previous installments was how they took some of these action scenes and brought them in real close and showed us something we'd never seen before. And using a book because he's in a library, I think, is is a great way to give us something new in that arena. And yeah, watching somebody get their ass kicked with a book, you know, this brutal manner, it's working for me. I'm on board for this movie from this point on. And there's also little subtle details throughout this film, like little actions that John Wick does that kind of brings a smile to my face because it's a moment of rationality amongst just all this brutal violence. Like he kills this giant with a book and then he goes and puts the book back on the shelf in the proper place <laughs> in the Dewey Decimal System. See, what I like about this scene is I think they do keep it light because in the middle of the fight, the giant goes, shh, because you're in a library. And John Wick <laughs> is making all these grunting and fighting sounds. And so... I like that little bit of humor that it injects here. And that's a good way to interject humor. I'm so glad that it didn't end with Keanu just going, I threw the book at him or something like that. You know, an Arnold-like line. No, there are no puns. There's no James Bond quips with John Wick. It's not a Schwarzenegger movie from 87, man. Like I think they know what they're doing. <laughs> but out of this, Wick gets stabbed in the shoulder and nicks an artery. He still has a few minutes left. He has to go find a doctor. This is a weird scene to me because I thought something would come of it and it doesn't. So it's weird. Why even have him get stabbed during that fight? Because, yeah, he goes to the doctor. I guess it's, again, to build tension. The doctor's like, I can't help you. And he's like, I got five minutes left. And so he's like, all right. And I do love, like, he stitches half the wound and then it hits 6 p.m. So he just stops. So I don't know if it's just there to build tension. I thought something more would come of this wound or of this doctor. And no, it never really does. Even when the adjudicator is going around and threatening everyone that has helped John Wick. No, no. Nothing ever happens. Did the doctor die? I mean, he says to Wick, they'll know I told you which bottle to use because he pretty much doesn't help Wick, but he does tell Wick there's a bottle there of pills that will give you energy and take away your pain. I guess they're the pills out of the movie Crank. But <laughs> <laughs> because he told them that, he says they'll know. And one complaint I have about this movie, the high table is psychic or the adjudicator is psychic because they're going to know he said this bottle, but yet they're going to think he wouldn't have stopped right at six. They know way too much. There's nothing you can do behind the high table's back. Yeah, I don't think he's dead. I think he shoots him a couple times and just lets him live because the doctor is like, oh, shoot here, but make sure not to hit this artery. So I think he it makes it look like there was an attempt on his life. I wasn't sure if he was saying, shoot me in the safe places or shoot me in the places where I'll die with the least pain. No, no, he's in pain. <laughs> I took it as he was being shot in places where he knew that he would survive and it would look like a legitimate fight. But I also, with the rest of the knowledge of this movie, I can take it that, yes, the adjudicator did come visit him. We don't know of his fate yet. It may be a cutscene, Right. But it's not necessary to show because we get the idea of what the adjudicator does just by the Continental at the Bowery. Like, so we don't need another scene at the doctor's office with the exact same type of interaction going on. Or maybe the doctor pops up in the next movie because he's needed again. Yeah, they're definitely setting stuff up for the future. Again, though, my audience is laughing because the doctor's like, shoot me here, but don't hit the... John shoots. <laughs> he's like, okay, now shoot me again here, but don't chip the... And John just shoots. And my audience is just laughing at that. 
As am I, I want to say. It's just, I'm very into this movie in these early scenes. But yeah, after he gets stitched up, John Wick, he needs a gun. Like, remember, he only got those seven bullets from Lawrence Fishburne in the last film. He doesn't have a gun. He, I don't know what this building is. It's just got a bunch of old guns. And I got to ask you, Arnie, he's trying to fit bullets into these revolvers. They won't fit. He starts taking the guns apart. I'm like, is this a tribute to the good, the bad, and the ugly when Tuco goes into the gun shop and starts building his own custom guns to take people on? It absolutely is. In fact, Stahelski (laughs) credited Leone for inspiration for a lot of this John Wick. So people, go donate. You can hear our thoughts about that scene and the good, the bad, and the ugly. I saw that scene and I couldn't believe it either. But I also, though, because my meta-knowledge, I now know they're making toys and gun designs are sometimes trademarked. I wondered if he was building a gun unique (laughs) enough that they could make it as a toy that goes with the action figure. Because, like, in Iron Man 2... Whiplash couldn't come with an orange jumpsuit because the state of California fucking trademarked that orange. Really? Retrademarked that? Yes. Did he own that orange suit? <laughs> yes. So without paying the state of California's penal system, they had to change the color of the suit. <laughs> That's hilarious. As cool as this scene is, as setting up some tension that he has to get this gun built in time before this mass of guys chasing him shows up. It was frustrating me because it's like he picked one bullet and it didn't fit the gun he picked. It's like, well, then pick a different bullet. That's much easier than taking a gun apart and making that bullet work. My belief was he wanted the 44. You know, he wanted a big bullet. But then I was like, take the different gun. (laughs) Take the one that has the 44. (laughs) So many better solutions. I guess there's only one size of each bullet. He only gets one off here. He doesn't get this even seven like he did in the last film. He only gets one bullet. And then it turns into a knife fight where the audience is just, again, you could hear the moans, the groans, disgusted. Like, he goes for the eyes. Again, though, it's kind of funny. Like, he's just tossing those knives repeatedly into people. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it starts as a hand-to-hand fight, and then they realize they're in some armory of ancient weapons, and they break the glass behind them. They just have endless supplies of knives. They're throwing the knives and stabbing with the knives. Just every way you can fight with a knife, they're going to do it. And I've never seen a knife go into a skull before, like through the skull. Oh, you'll see it a lot in this movie. (laughs) I guess I'm a little desensitized to violence like that, where it's like, you know, you're getting a knife right through the eye. It's like, oh, yeah, that'll kill you. I got an eye thing. It just the eye is makes me squeamish. Yeah, the eye thing. This bothered me here. It's a slow stab into the eye. Oh, my God. Painful. And then to end it all, two guys come in with hatchets. And there's one guy still left alive when Wick's done. He just takes that hatchet and throws it. I'm like, this would have been a great 3D scene to have the hatchet thrown from the back of the screen to the front and hit this guy in the head. Again, those are the little details I like. This guy's not getting up to fight anytime soon, but John Wick's not going to leave him alive. Just, yeah, takes that hatchet, throws it into his head. And then, if you're not exhausted yet... We're going to get some horse action. We're going to go to a horse stable and have John Wick, not once but twice, having henchmen taken out with horses kicking him in the face. (laughs) I was like, where do you find horses in Manhattan? And fortunately, they tell me. These are those people that pull the carriages, right? This this is a tourist scam. We see one guy in a suit with a carriage. So this is where all the horses from Central Park are kept. I'm like, okay. Oh, okay. Thanks for that bit of detail. Because like, I missed that. And I thought he was like in the police horse stables. I'm like, they would be a little bit more better protected than that. There'd be some cops around. 
I felt bad for the horse, though, because Wick just punches him in the back and the horse double kicks this guy. I'm like, that had to hurt the horse. I mean, I don't notice a lot of CGI in this movie, but the horse was pretty fake. Yeah, the horses were pretty (laughs) CGI. I think they cover up a lot of their CGI. They use it to aid and embellish the physical stuff going on. But yeah, that horse, that CGI, it was pretty obvious. I don't know that there's a practical way to have a horse kick a dude in the face. (laughs) I don't think any stuntman (laughs) wants that job. (laughs) And... Then the second horse, though, it's like he's got a action button on the side, which just like pushes the side and the horse kicks. He pushes the side again. The horse kicks again. I'm designing the whole toy line for this movie. Oh, yeah. And then you get a chase scene. There's dudes on motorcycles chasing John Wick on the horse. I love like at one point, John Wick, he does that thing where he leans to the side so they can't shoot him like he's riding totally like leaned over on the side of that horse and like reaches around to take one of the motorcycle guys out. A lot of fun action to open up this film. One thing that this chapter is doing, I think, a little bit better than the previous two, and it is kind of akin to the Warriors, it's like each of these gangs that he's encountering, they're all after him for the same reason, but they all seem to be gangs of a certain ethnicity. So it's a little easier to follow scene to scene who exactly is after him and what the stakes are. It's like, oh, I'm done with that gang. Let's move on to the next scene. And before it just felt like endless thugs after him. Now it seems like you're leveling up in a video game. But it does feel more like video game fodder because when John Wick would fight people in the past, yes, there were henchmen, but a lot of times I felt like he was going up against hitmen like himself, like Common in the last movie or Ruby Rose in the last movie. And I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Gross Point Blank. Oh, yeah. Love that movie. John Cusack, Dan Aykroyd, Mini Driver. But he's a hitman who goes to his high school reunion, and another hitman has come to town, and when the two of them square off, they're pretty evenly matched, because they're both really good at what they do. Here, because of all the cannon fodder, it's like, none of these guys are really good at your jobs. Well, they do have, I think, the ultimate hitman. And he's a John Wick fanboy in this. Zero. That's the last of the ninjas, the guys on the motorcycles. And they end up at the steps of the Continental. Did you recognize this actor who played Zero, Mark DeCoscos? It bugged me. It had a face that I'm like, I know this face. And then when I saw his name, I'm like, and we've reviewed him on the show. I couldn't place him, though. Well, I know where I could place him once I looked up his credits because I kept looking at him like, is that Gordon Liu? Can't be Gordon Liu. That dude was 50 when he did Kill Bill. He's pushing 70 now. Can't be Gordon Liu. But I know that face. Today's secret ingredient yes! is... Blowfish! He's the chairman on American Iron <laughs> Chef. He's like, you know, freshwater eel. Yes. I couldn't believe they got that guy. I didn't know he was an actor. I just thought he was the chairman on Iron Chef. I only know Iron Chef because I watched The Soup a lot with Joel McHale, and every week they show the reveal of the ingredients, and so I saw Mark Dacascos there a lot. But we talked about him. He was in Double Dragon, the movie, with Alyssa Milano and all that. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has a recognizable face, but I don't know that I'd be able to pick him out as the Iron Chef. Man, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, so John Wick, he's going to have, I think you're... A-level hitman nemesis in this film. But we're going to slow down a bit, and he's going to go see Angelica Houston. He's going to go to the ballet. I haven't seen Angelica Houston in a movie in quite a while. I can't recall the last one. The last one I saw her in, Darjeeling Limited, Wes Anderson film. She kind of just shows up out of nowhere, kind of like this film. Yeah, looking her up, I have seen her in stuff, but 
I think she was pretty unrecognizable. Like, I saw that movie Choke that was based on a book by the author of Fight Club. and Oh, she's in that. I don't remember her in that. Royal Tenenbaums. I saw her in that, but I just don't remember. But here, I didn't know she was in this film coming in. I didn't know why we were watching an outtake of Black Swan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because Russians and ballet, like, that's a thing. (laughs) You know how Russians are known for ballet institutes and also young boy wrestling clubs? (laughs) No, I think yeah, I think this is playing into yeah, you know, the Olympics and they're always dose. I mean, if you're going back to the Cold War era, it's probably different, probably not different now actually. I watched those Winter Olympics in Russia. That was crazy. My question is is John Wick Russian? We're going to find out I think his real name because he's adopted. I think they're going to say, but yeah, he's got those back tattoos. We're going to see these ballerinas with the similar back tattoos. I got to wonder if he's Russian at this point. I mean, he was fighting the Russians in the first one. He is, but he spoke Russian. I just assume he speaks like every language. He's John Wick. I did too, but he is of the Ruska Roma tribe. And those are like real life Russian gypsies. And what I take from this movie is, yes, his real name is Jardani Jovanovich. And at some point, he decided John Wick sounds a lot cooler, and it does. (laughs) Do you think that Angelica Houston worked with Julie Delpy, and Julie Delpy was at another branch of this training Black Widow for Age of Ultron flashbacks? (laughs) I don't remember Julie Delpy having that role, but yeah, maybe. Again, this is a thing. If you saw Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence, it plays up to that Russian, and yeah, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, we saw John Wick. He got this necklace. He got one of those markers. I remember that marker from part two, especially because I had just watched it. So I'm like, someone knows him. But he also gets this necklace, and that's his ticket to freedom, I guess. Everything here, there's always an out, it seems, in this world. You got the gold coins, and now he's got this necklace that they're going to brand him with that shows he's cashed in his ticket, and they're going to give him safe harbor to Casablanca. So he could, I guess, live the rest of his life without having to worry about assassination. And this is where we learn a lot about John's backstory, and we learn it in a way that I like. It's not a whole lot of exposition. We're learning it as he goes. And I guess by being part of the Rusca Roma tribe, you can ask for anything once. And this is so separate from the high table that even the director, that's Angelica Houston, we don't know a name other than the director, the director cannot refuse, despite John being excommunicado, she's going to pay for that, but... The tattoo on John's back, I've noticed it always, you know, obviously some Christ metaphor going on there. The ballerinas also all had this tattoo. When you cash in your ticket, they're going to brand you with an upside down cross marring that tattoo. Yes, I noticed it was upside down, which has its own meaning and significance. It's your ticket out. I mean, this whole world is about codes that these people live by, which is, I mean, I think what holds all of it together is that, you know, sure, assassins can go out there and kill people willy nilly. But the fact that they're all honor bound by a code. Winston said in the second one, and that's what upset me, is without rules, we're just animals. And so that's why they have all these rules and they got to stick to them. It's that irony that these murderous killers are probably the most moral people as far as their code of morality goes. Exactly. Now we're seeing rules inside of rules inside of organizations. So it's getting a little political and a little wonky here as far as what rules apply to who and what this does. But I took it as this is just your ticket out of this organization. Once you cash this ticket there's no coming back you're not under our protection anymore there you go yeah my feeling is if you ever worked on a tv show or you know how they work on tv shows they usually have a bible where this is the characters here's their backstory it might not ever show up in the movie but here's everything we want for this series 
And I'm like, either this series, when they came up with the John Wick character, they wrote a great Bible with all these different societies and rules <laughs> and MacGuffins, or they are just really good improv because they're just making stuff up on the fly. I'm not sure which it is. It's fitting so well, though. And I think about the Matrix a lot with these movies. Again, oh, yeah. the theory about these movies are all taking place in the Matrix. The color palette's not green enough to be the Matrix. That's true. But in the first Matrix film, we explored this whole world. But in the second Matrix film, they added all those other societies and the albino guy and the pie woman and all of that. And I didn't like how they did it. I thought that was really clumsy. Here, it's equally as in-depth. I really feel like they have built an entire universe with its number of guilds and types and everything. And yet... It all flows so much better than The Matrix. I believe this to be, dare I say, Keanu Reeves' best saga ever. It's almost got Saw-like continuity going <laughs> on. Is that a compliment, Jacob? I don't remember you liking Saw. Well, I didn't like those films, but you can't argue that they didn't try to build an entire world of seven, eight movies, however many there are in that series, where they all fit together. And, you know, I could kind of appreciate that, especially with now playing, because that's what we kind of do is dissect the continuity of franchises. And so to see one where, again, I don't know if they're making it up on the fly and, it, and it's just fitting or they came up with all this before, but I do like this world that my favorite thing of these John Wick movies has always been the world they've created. Yeah, and also the scale of this is continuing to grow. Like, now John is off to travel to Casablanca in the blink of an eye. And I guess either you're going to get so mired into details here, because this movie is kind of detail-heavy, that you have to just kind of hand-wave off, like, well, yeah, how did he get there? Did he take a commercial flight? Was he under... They smuggled him. He had his ticket to freedom. They somehow got him there. If we can get heroin into this country, we can get John Wick out. <laughs> we can get John Wick out. <laughs> Besides, it's Casablanca. I wondered if he was going to have the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah, I think that's a little bit on the nose from what I remember about Casablanca. It's been years since I've seen that, but yeah, that was this city where, yeah, people that were trying to avoid, what, World War II or whatever, just kind of hanging out there. And so it's a little too on the nose. But again, I kind of smile. I get the joke. I get what they're going for. But during this, I think I'm a little distracted from that minor detail because of the adjudicator who comes in. And the adjudicator has this severe haircut and this neck tattoo and the one dangling earring. It's the Ruby Rose of this movie, right? It is. I thought it might have been Ruby Rose in the first long shot. And the adjudicator has this coin, and it's different than any coin we've seen before. I guess it's a badge. It's got an A on it. Yeah, that shows they are an adjudicator. And I say they because Asia Kate Dillon, I don't know them. They're in Orange is the New Black, but they are non-binary and prefer to be called they. It's one person, but yes, non-binary person. They prefer to be called, use the pronoun they, them, that. So try not to make it confusing, but yes, it's one person, but we're trying to be respectful and use the pronoun that they wish to have used. And another little detail, you know, paying attention to detail here, the filmmakers with this new coin that we haven't seen before, it has a little bit of an Arabic feel in the design to it, which we will find out later has a good reason why it looks like that. But at this point, we don't know what this means. Like Jacob said, is it a badge? Is it a full past or whatever? All we know at this point is if somebody 
under the code sees this, they snap too. Get your books ready. We want to see what you did to help John Wick. They're going around and, yeah, finding out who aided him and holding Winston accountable for giving him that hour. He says, I can make whatever rules I want. Well, apparently you can't. And so I'm glad someone's holding him accountable because that did bug me at the end of John Wick too. I know it did. It bugged you so much that I was fist pumping metaphorically when he was being taken to task for <laughs> like and. For all I know, Stahelski listened to our podcast and was like, shit. I may deserve a writing credit. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was a common complaint. I don't know. But I was happy that the words, without rules, we live with the animals, is used against him. It now makes me think that wasn't just a major screw up. It was laying seeds for this next one. But I also think of what you said in the last review we did, Jacob, where you said, you don't like it when each act of a movie is its own movie. Had all of this been in one movie, I think you would have liked it more. Yeah, I was thinking about that afterwards, because you take the opening to John Wick 2, make Peter Stormare's character someone on the high table, and John Wick kills him, and then that's what pushes all these things into action, because that is what pushes the adjudicator into investigating everything is John Wick killed. I don't know who that dude was. I don't remember what his name was or anything from John Wick too, but he was on the high table. He had John Wick kill his sister so he could take her place. And that's the big crime is someone on the high table was killed. So everyone that aided John Wick as the assassin must be held accountable. And the adjudicator is the one who goes and hires Zero and his gang. I never caught Zero's name in the movie. I just kept referring to him as Baldy. No, neither did I. <laughs> I kept referring to him as maybe Gordon Liu? I'm not sure. <laughs> In my notes, he's just called Fanboy. His gang of assassins truly are ninjas, and I love the way they play with Shadow. Oh, yeah, it's great. They just come out of nowhere. They don't have to stealth like the Predator. I wonder if there's some CGI Shadow that hides certain features. But my God, these guys can just hide out of nowhere. Yeah, we see them taking out bodyguards at Angelica Houston's theater, and it's great. And I love the way they walk out on that stage, and all those ballerinas, they just keep dancing. I thought for sure, though, that they would kill Angelica Houston. I'm surprised at the, dare I say, leniency that they just stab her through the hands, and it seems like Zero even goes just to the meat. He doesn't take out a bone. You know, I was never really sure in this movie, in this world of rules and whatnot. I mean, I was, they're still establishing them, but you're right. I got the feeling that if the adjudicator showed up at your doorstep to ask you questions... That meant a death sentence. You had a few days and you're done. When Lawrence Fishburne shows up, I thought that was the case. You know, it's like you helped him. You have seven days to clear out of here. I guess they're going to take over his territory, get rid of all your pigeons. I do love his little speech about how pigeons are the internet. No IP addresses, <laughs> no hacking. I, a great little speech by Fishburne there. The Fishburne is so much better in this film than I think he was in the last one because he gets a few lines that I really love the delivery of. Like when she says... But can you catch a disease from them? He's like, well, I wouldn't recommend you eat one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it sounds more natural than a lot of his stilted delivery from the last time. But the ultimate price he has to pay is he gets seven slashes for the seven bullets that he gave John Wick and Zero's going to slash him. I've seen samurai movies. Those slashes kill you. I'm like, oh, that's weird that they just brought Lawrence Fishburne into that second film just to kill him here when he hasn't really accomplished much. But I guess he'll show back up at the end. He survived, but it looked like a death sentence to me. But it was good to see what happens to someone who denies the adjudicator, because Winston is also going to deny the adjudicator. We need to see that punishment. And 
you know, I need to credit Stahelski and his writers. They brought in some new writers on this one, too, just to help flesh out the story. And the way that they did things, I kept being like, oh, that's poor writing because they built him up and then they didn't know what to do with him. So now they're just going to kill him like a pig here with these seven cuts. Yeah, that's how it feels. And no, they're playing me. The writing is actually so good. If you like Game of Thrones, it's kind of like that. Where you're like, oh my god, they killed this person, and no, maybe they didn't, and that person's coming back with a vengeance. I haven't watched Game of Thrones, I know lots of people die on that, but my reference was comic books. This series thus far, now that I see how they're doing, it does feel like a comic book. Like, we're gonna set up a plot, and then that's gonna go away, but then the next film, that's gonna be the A plot. This B plot becomes the A plot, and so yeah, that's what it feels like they're doing here. The the surprise person returns to the dead, that is always happening in comics. Winston is told he has a week to step down as head of the Continental. And I feel that if he does this, he's not going to be punished. And I feel the same about the Bowery King. You can live in exile, basically, or you can fight us. And we saw what happened when the Bowery King fought him. I mean, so many people were killed as the ninjas come for the Bowery King. I again think that the Bowery King's assassins were not the greatest. Jason Manzoukas lived, though. (laughs) Yeah, he did not get killed. (laughs) He must have been hiding. But I figured the Bowery King was no more. And his last line, again, I'm liking Larry Fishburne so much more in this than the last one. The king is dead. Long live the king. I am enjoying him more in this one than the first time, but he is chewing a little bit of scenery here. It's like it almost feels like he looked at the script and he's like, I don't know how many more scripts I'm going to get my hands on where I get to monologue like this. So I'm really going to go for it. True. But if he didn't do some of that, it wouldn't even feel like the same character. He's still Perry White in the DC universe, isn't he? Though I think the DC expanded universe is dead. (laughs) Yeah, he's also Giant Man in the Marvel universe. (laughs) Oh, that's right. (laughs) I was surprised he didn't show up in Endgame. (laughs) No, he's working for me. I mean, even though he's coming up in a little over the top, it's not out of character for this character. I also wonder if Stahelski is a Stephen King fan. This could be a wild coincidence. I may be looking too deep, but the adjudicator tells Winston, I'll be in room 217. Well, that is the room from The Shining. Okay, I thought so, yes. Kubrick changed it to 237. Yes, I thought so. But in the book, and where Stephen King actually stayed at the Stanley Hotel was room 217. And I'm like, are they making a nod? I wondered if. Yeah, it's a weird reference. You know, it's a hotel where a lot of people are going to die eventually, so maybe that's why they have a Shining reference. If so, it's really deep, but hey... Everybody who makes films seems to appropriately be a fan of other films that came before, so maybe he was a big Shining fan. I don't know. Or it could be, again, a coincidence. What's not a coincidence is, yes, as Jacob pointed out, Casablanca, where he's going to meet Sophia, played by Halle Berry, who I thought was going to be in the rest of this film. This was a team-up movie, right? That's what I thought on the trailer. Oh, it's going to be John Wick and Halle Berry's character for the rest of the film. Yeah, she was going to be Jinx, right? Just like they were trying to do in James Bond and give her her own set of (laughs) spinoffs. Because I don't know if you guys saw the video, but they released her training video. She trained for weeks. She trained and did the same training as Keanu. And they have the video of her on the firing range doing the tactical moves with the gun and everything, I thought she would only train that hard if she was in this movie for a lot, but she's really... I mean, she does get a huge action scene. 
the story kind of reminds me of the Odyssey because Wick goes from person to person as they take him to the next step along the journey, as he's trying to find the mythical elder, you know, it, it just feels very Greek. And she runs the equivalent of the Continental in Casablanca, is, is that correct? They basically said this is the Continental of Morocco. So yeah, they dropped that line in there if you were... I mean, there's a lot of dialogue here, but the concierge there does say that. But they're planting a lot of seeds for part four here, right? Oh, yeah, she- Sophia has a daughter and she doesn't want to know where the daughter is. And I guess John Wick, he's got that blood oath, that pendant with her bloody fingerprint because he helped rescue her daughter and hit her. And Sophia doesn't even want to know where that daughter is. So she can never look for her. No one could ever find her. Yeah. And the marker, as we saw in part two, you have to honor the marker. It's iffy on if you honor the marker for someone who's excommunicado. But here... I took it as he was threatening her. Like, I will tell you where your daughter is if you don't help me. I haven't seen Barry in a while in anything, but I'm not impressed with her performance here. Like, when she's doing the action, she's fine. But yeah, this whole scene, I don't know. I am I guess I'm just thinking of that line from X-Men. <laughs> About the toad? Yeah, yeah, just her performance here. She doesn't seem to fit in this world. Don't you remember we saw her in Kingsman just, what, two years ago? No, I don't, obviously. <laughs> But, I mean, you put her up, she's the Ian McShane of this play. She's no Ian McShane. I mean, I can see what you're saying, Jacob. It's a little hard to remove somebody like a Halle Berry from her previous work. I mean, she's coming in with all this other baggage. If she's in an action movie, you've got a pretty good shot of it not being that great. I mean, Catwoman, anyone? I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, so, like, seeing her here can draw you out a little bit. And the fact that her teeth are overly crest white stripped. That always takes me out when someone has really white teeth, especially when it doesn't fit the character they're playing. But if you, if you let it go along with it, personally, she's not doing anything wrong with this role. She's not bothering me, but she does have a little bit of a hump to get over to win me over. Yeah, she just doesn't have the threatening presence that everyone else in this world has. No, but she and Keanu both, they must have traveled the desert to find the Fountain of Youth, right? They do not age. I can't believe they're both in their 50s. When you got that much money, you uh, can afford to not to age. There's ways to prevent that. (laughs) Yeah, but sometimes you end up looking like Walter Matthau. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) But I agree. She does not have the sense of danger. They keep trying to make Halle Berry an action star. And I wondered if now that she's at this stage of life, could she pull off a Charlie's Theron or something? She can't, but her dogs can. Yeah, I love her dogs. I take back everything I said about her because they don't apply to her dogs. Like, they're very threatening. This is a series about a man and his dog. And so I love, yeah, that she's got dogs too. And she's got bulletproof vests for her dogs so they don't get hurt. (laughs) That is awesome. But we see something here. I think they set something up when she says, sit, and both dogs sit. And she goes, I was talking to you, John. I think there's going to be a callback to that later. We'll get to it. It's a very subtle thing that I noticed. But yeah, she has the two dogs and she's going to take him to see her former boss, Barada. And I thought it was Barada, like from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> With the, you know, the guy who has the size coming out of the arm. Oh, yeah. But no, it's Barada, not Barada. <laughs> or Nick too. I mean, building up this world. This is where all the coins are made. We see them making these coins and we're going to hear about the first coin and the first marker. And again, more world building. With an actor, Jerome Flynn, Game of Thrones again. A lot of Game of Thrones people coming in here. That's got to be because they all die in Game of Thrones, from what I know, and so they need other acting jobs. (laughs) Well, everybody's gone now. It's wrapping up. 
And this guy's at the high table, right? That's the way I took it, yeah. I mean, he's leveling up through bosses here. Like, each person he goes to is a little bit higher up on that food chain. What he wants to see is the one who sits above the table. And now I'm like, okay, so we're adding to mythology even more. Yeah, who is the architect? Forget Agent Smith. Let's go see the architect. Exactly. And what we're told is something so utterly ridiculous that I think it's metaphorical, but they actually mean it literally. Go to the desert, follow the star, walk until you can't walk any further, and then go more. You don't find the Elder, the Elder finds you. I'm like, this is a great way for a lot of people to just be discovered as vulture-eaten bones in the desert. To me, it's just a cutscene on a video game between missions. Like, yeah, this is how you're going to get to the next boss. But before we get to that cutscene, we do get a big action scene here because Barada does not plan. He tells John Wick what to do, but he's not going to let him live. Is that the case or is it just everything requires indebtedness? And the theme of this movie that they keep coming back to is the repercussions of choices you've made in your past. Every single choice these people made is coming back to harm them. They thought they were making these devil's deals, giving these markers, getting out of the life, getting back into the life. They always thought this deal was going to benefit them, and now they see that what they needed at that time is exacting a heavy cost. Barada doesn't seem to be violent. He's had this weird obsession with... Sophia's dogs. Yeah, you're right. He wants one of the dogs to let John Wick live. Yeah, he's asking weird questions like, are your dogs well trained? In the middle of conversations, do your dogs shed? And I'm like, what's going on? And then he's like, I will take your dog. She says no. And oh my God, the entire theater, including myself, gasped. He's like, well, if I can't have the dog, I'm going to kill it. Shoots the dog. And I'm like, you didn't kill the dog. Oh, wait, what movie am I watching? Yeah, you (laughs) killed the dog. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm like, oh, they're getting back to the dog murder. I had forgotten it had a bulletproof coat on. (laughs) My heart stopped. I'm like, I did not want to see a dog's journey. (laughs) No, I think Barada's plan was to kill John Wick and keep Hallie's dog as a gift and let her go. But that's not the way it's going to play out here. You know, (laughs) Sophia decides she's going to grab that gun from her dog's bulletproof vest. And John Wick says, "Uh, don't do it. That's where things go sideways. This is- I, mean, I mean, that's what Winston told John Wick in the last film. Don't do it. And <laughs> yeah. he fired and Sophia fires. And, you know, Halle Berry did all that training. Let her be the star of an action scene because I fairly see John Wick with all this firing that's going on. It's all Sophia and her dogs taken out, guys. But it is great. Like, there's that one point where dog parkours off her back to yes, jump the wall and bite that. a dude in the balls. <laughs> the dog's a dick ripper. He rips off Barada's dick and it's like, you deserve it. And then I guess that's where you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sophia shoots Barada in the knee when John says, don't do it. Because if you kill a member of the high table, you're going to be as fucked as John. I guess by shooting in the knee, maybe if you're lucky, they're just going to take a finger or stab you through the hand or something. But she lets Barada live. We'll probably see him in a future installment. And those dogs, though, it's like a scene out of fucking aliens. There's one scene where some of the henchmen are in a car. Oh, man, and yeah. Dogs go into the car window and, like, rip an artery. You just see the blood spray around the windows. <laughs> we get a lot of action here. We get a lot of dog action. We get a lot of close fighting action. The one thing that I feel like they missed an opportunity was for to throw somebody in one of those smelting pots. You know, you've got liquid hot gold. I thought that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, should have happened, but there's plenty of eye candy here. I mean, we like you guys said, there's some dog parkour, a lot of dick ripping. 
and a lot of good close action shoots and fights and all that stuff. And you can easily get pulled out because it's like, well, who's just a pedestrian and how do you know who is trying to kill you or whatnot? Because at one point it looked like just a car driving by, but it <laughs> ended up being, yeah, no, these are more assassins. So you got to take them out. I feel left out. I'm like the only person in this world who's not an assassin. You guys are probably <laughs> both getting pages right now about it. <laughs> <laughs> But I do like the dogs in this scene. And this is why I think she's going to stick around is she shot Barada. She helped Wick. She needs to now be on the run with Wick, right? She is as screwed as him. And so they'll both need help. I figure she's in the rest of this movie. No, this is the end. They're going to escape after a really great action scene. I mean, I'm loving the action scenes. I'm not meaning to gloss over them. But how much can I say about how many times people get punched in the face and John Wick bends an arm back to the point of breaking. It's, I feel like that move gets a little overdone, the bending of the arms. But it is so much action that is good. I was sad to see Hallie and her dogs go. And she does so really in a mean way. Oh, so gross. <laughs> Again, another big groan from the audience. Yeah, she takes the little remaining water in a water bottle and swigs it and swishes it around in her mouth. Those teeth so wide, I don't think there's any food particles in there anyway. But <laughs> spits it back in that bottle for John to drink as he hikes through the desert. It is gross, but there could be worse mouths for that water to come out of. <laughs> Look, if I'm walking through the desert, I'll drink Halle Berry spit. <laughs> the scene it reminded me of was Three Amigos. Yes. And the Three Amigos are going through the desert, and Steve Martin and Martin Short are both out of water. And then Chevy Chase has the full canteen, and he's like swishing, spitting. Lip balm? <laughs> Uh, yes, but this sets us up for John to go on his journey into the desert. And while it's gorgeous looking, there's just something so funny about these sprawling drone shots of just the desert laying out at sunset and one man walking in a suit. A, a man in a full suit. Yeah. <laughs> Take that jacket off. Tie it around your head. Cool yourself off. I felt like it was every desert cliche ever. You see the hot sun. Hell, we saw this in... The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Where you're walking and you go up the arroyo and you fall and you get back up. I mean, the point where you see all the tracks behind the person. This is space balls. This is every yeah. scene in a desert. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't stop my brain from going ding, 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 ding. <laughs> but sure enough, because this movie is called John Wick, some dude in a camel comes along and stops John from dehydrating and baking in the sun. And he goes to see the elder who is higher than the high table. Is he like the ultimate king of all the assassins? I don't quite understand how all this works, but I guess he's ultimately in charge because he can clear John Wick's excommunicado status and reinstate him and, and do all kinds of things. I was let down. I expected the elder, if he's above the high table, to be something just amazing, right? I didn't know what I expected, but like you said, the architect in The Matrix 2, right? I expected that. No, this is Samir from Wonder Woman. Remember him? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know I've seen this guy in American Hustle where he does play an Arab, and yeah, I, I've seen this actor. Yeah, he was part of Wonder Woman's crew. Yeah, and he's also in the second G.I. Joe movie. I don't remember him as that, but... <laughs> I did see that on his resume. I just don't remember him as Breaker. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I don't remember Breaker. But for some reason, this guy sitting there in a tent in the desert, it didn't live up to my expectations of the Elder. But then again, neither did Kiss's album of the same name. So maybe I'm just always <laughs> let down by the Elder. 
I kind of took it as you, you get the person who climbs the Himalayas to find the Buddhist monk or the yogi that lives up there to get wisdom. And yeah, it's always just like an old dude with a big beard. And that's kind of how this plays to me. It's not someone with this grand Taj Mahal. Yeah, but I expect him to be above pettiness, I suppose. I expect, yeah, like the Buddhist monk, I expect the ancient one from Doctor Strange to be sitting there. And instead we just see this guy who's like, I'm going to kill you. But this is all about the rule. That is the thing with these films. It's all about these rules you have to play by. And I guess even the Elder is not above that. And I don't know what I was expecting, but it just doesn't play as this is the highest seat of power in this world where yeah. they happen to know everything that's going on with every detail all over the world. Just doesn't seem like it's coming from this nomadic tent village in the desert. You don't think Lawrence Fishburne is sending pigeons over there to keep him up on what's going on? <laughs> I don't know what I expected. And when you do this, you're always setting yourself up for an impossible task in storytelling. But this wasn't it. John Wick scaled the Dark Tower and this is what he found at the top? Okay. What I do like about this scene is that it humanizes John Wick again. This is a guy, again, who lost his puppy. And that puppy, the reason the puppy was such a big deal and we're reminded of this is because his wife sent him that. I had forgotten that detail until I rewatched the first one is he got that weird uh, dog delivery service. So when you die, they send you a dog. <laughs> and so that dog was a stand in for his wife. It's what kept that memory going. This has always been about his wife. We saw that picture he's looking at at the beginning of this film in the library. So to say, look, why do you want to keep doing this? And it's to remember his life so she could keep living in his memory. And I like the stakes. You could either die or you could continue to remember your wife but you're going to have to kill for me for the rest of your life. It is a deal with the devil, and I like that decision he has to make. And I think that right there is where this series becomes a problem for me, because if that was set up in the first act of this movie instead of seven years ago in a previous installment, it would have more payoff. But after seeing everything we have and all the real time that's passed, for John Wick's motivation to stay alive just for the memory of his wife seems a little hollow. Look, maybe because I had just watched the last two, it was fresh in my mind. But yeah, 2014, it's been five years, even though we've been told like these movies have taken place over like a week. I don't know whether they started in the future or we're still in the past, but I'm iffy on the I want to stay alive because as long as I'm alive, there's a memory of her alive. We know nothing about the wife is the problem. I get that. It's a humanizing moment for John Wick, who really has been the man with no name. And if you've listened to us talk about those films, he's not really a character. He's just someone to push the action forward and to interact. There's not a whole lot of depth to Clint Eastwood there. And John Wick has been like that. So I, I like this little moment that he's going to have to cut off his ring finger. And I'm like, oh, they're going to take his finger. No, they're going to take the wedding ring. Like, look, this isn't deep stuff, but I like these little character moments. It gets me more invested in his journey. You know, I've liked all the shooting and stabbing. That's fun. But to make it a little bit more personal helps me. I saw them bring him the tools and they weren't stating outright what they wanted him to do. They wanted a sign of fealty. And I'm like, are they going to make him lose a finger? And I'm like, is it going to be a thumb? That's That'll really fuck you. Is it the index finger? How's he going to pull a trigger? No, it's the symbolic ring finger. And I just am always taken aback when somebody suffers permanent injury in an action film. I never expect it. You die, you live, but to live with a permanent injury. I'm glad they just cauterized the wound. They're forward thinking. And this was a big argument behind the scenes, it turned out, because this is very expensive. The studio was like, this means for the rest of the movie, 
we have to CGI out a finger on the left hand of a left-handed actor. You know what I was thinking the whole time? After he cuts his finger off, I'm just thinking of before they put in the effects, and he must have had a little green finger slip over his finger, just like they did with Charlize Theron and Mad Max with her arm. So they could cut that. And I kept watching. I'm like, okay, does he, is he missing his finger still? Did they slip up? I did too. Like throughout the whole film, I just was focused on that finger. <laughs> there are a couple scenes where it's very obvious that he's just holding his finger under because it's not natural. Like take your ring finger and put it towards your palm. Like the rest of your fingers kind of look unnatural. If your fingers actually cut off, your hand would just rest. There's a few scenes where it's like, oh, yep. Keanu's just holding his finger in. There were also a lot of camera angles where we just don't have to see the finger, you know, the shoot from the elbows up and things. And I know that that's probably intentional to save on money, but I just was shocked that they took their hero and disfigured him again, like eyes. That's something that really gets to me as a viewer and then giving up the ring. And I wasn't sure what she would choose because in addition to this, he has to remember her through death. He will be their indentured servant for the rest of his days until he is killed, killing again and again. Not the man he became for his wife, the man he was before meeting his wife. Now, doesn't this kind of destroy the entire narrative, John Wick? Like, what we know of him is that he wanted out. We don't know all the details, but he was out of the life. He was just trying to settle down with his wife and have a normal life. I don't know. Maybe I have a twisted sense of romance. I like that it's this Faustian deal that to remember his wife, you know, it's the Greek myth. You're going to have to descend into Hades. That's what I feel John Wick is doing. To remember his wife, he has to live in hell and be tortured the rest of his life as an assassin. Yeah, and accept his fate. You know, I mean, there's no going back. He's not getting his wife back. So if ultimately what he wants is to be alive to remember his wife, then yes, this is the deal presented to him. And it does make sense for the character. It just kind of destroys a lot of the motivation I felt like we were on board with for the first two movies. Now it's just like, oh, well, okay, he's going to be a hired killer again. And the first kill he has to do is Winston. And that hurt me as much as the finger. I'm like, he won't kill Winston. And he's he's like, okay, I'll go kill Winston. I don't know that I ever believed he would kill Winston. No, I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe he accepted the job at that moment to kill Winston. I don't know if he believed it. I think he did. Watching this movie, I'm unclear on his motivation, but I think at that moment, he was so desperate, he was agreeing to kill the man who was the only reason he was alive. If Winston hadn't given him that hour, he'd have ended up like Mrs. Perkins in the first movie. Right, which puts him right back into the same position he was at the beginning of this movie, which is a man on the run from the high table. Don't you kind of want that, though? Like, look, I, I didn't mind all our time spent in Casablanca and the desert, but yeah, this film set up a, a style and a pace from the first 20 minutes of it that kind of slows down. And so, yeah, let's get back into what I thought this movie was going to be all about. John Wick running from every assassin in the world. It should be mentioned that at the high table... John is given a new clean suit. It's almost like a rebirth. Like he's back in the fold. And this time he has a black shirt to show symbolically that his soul is now fully consumed by the high table. That is true. I was wondering how they knew he was going to show up and have a suit all tailored for him. But, you know, this is a crazy world. They know everything again. They're just psychic. The educator knows about the hour and knows that 
The Bowery King gave seven bullets. The psychic level of the high table is the one thing that bothers me more than anything. To me, it's just kind of fun. I, I don't take it as psychic. It's just, yeah, they know everything. They have people everywhere, and it plays almost like a Terry Gilliam bureaucracy to me, a farce, and that's what I kind of enjoy about it. Yeah, it just takes the stakes to a place where it's like, oh, you're not going to get away with anything, therefore... As an audience member watching this, it throws your brain into a state where you can't try to stay one step ahead of everybody. But he gets safe passage back to the Continental. No, he doesn't. He gets safe passage to Grand Central Station where Zero and his men show up. And again, they do that cool ninja stuff where you see a crowd walk by and one will disappear and they'll pop up behind John. And this is where Zero really expresses what a fanboy he is. I love that. I love that John Wick is like a celebrity among assassins and Zero is honored to fight against him. It must be like opening for Guns N' Roses or something like that for a modern band. Except Zero thinks he is Guns N' Roses. He says we're the same. He thinks he's the same level as John Wick. I wonder if he is. First of all, I need to say the scenes in Grand Central Station are gorgeously shot. There's no way that this was a set. I knew, even before you said it, Justin, that this was shot on location because the details are too perfect, too exacting. There's so much detail there. And then Zero and Wick are about to go at it when a field trip of young children goes between them. And Zero does say, the difference is, I wouldn't have stopped. And... Wick does the disappearing trick, showing that he can do Zero's trick. I didn't expect that. It, They're the same. John Wick pulling out a cool move. And then we get a motorcycle chase that was awesome because it's a fist fight on moving motorcycles. John is, again, just shooting people and sticking swords through tire spokes so those things flip. <laughs> again, th this one, it felt a little CGI to me, but it's still a fun chase scene. And like, this is like the speeder bike chase on Return of the Jedi, but badass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really feel more tied to the action. You don't feel like you're watching it. You feel like you're sitting on the handlebars of that motorcycle with John Wick. I mean, literally at one point, one ninja gets on the sitting backwards on the seat of another ninja's bicycle so they could both fight him. Yeah, I, I, I was keeping count. The number of people and the number of bikes were different, but the way bikes were flipping and bikes were crashing. It was the one time I felt like some of the effects weren't too good. When we got the close-up fighting, they were not on moving motorcycles. No, no, that's what I'm saying. It felt a little CGI. You know, I think of, again, another great motorcycle scene that... Keanu Reeves was in as Neo in The Matrix Reloaded, where they actually built a freeway so they could film a physical. And the, yes, of course, there's CGI elements there. This one at times felt a little clunky, but overall, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I know Keanu did a lot of his own stunts and Keanu is a avid motorcycle rider and so probably did a lot of the riding himself, but nobody's going to do a fist fight, sword fight on a motorcycle that they are also controlling. <laughs> But it ends in a really funny way. Keanu slides into home. <laughs> yep, safe. Yeah, I love this. He puts his hand on the steps of the Continental and Zero's about to take him out. And the concierge, like a character that I didn't know I liked so much until this film, <laughs> he comes out and he's like, nope, even though he's excommunicado, there's still rules. You can't kill on company grounds. Playing tag as a kid, like, sorry, can't touch me. I'm, I'm home base. I kind of thought Zero might cut off his hand. Oh, yeah. Well, the hand's safe, but the rest of you isn't. Skirting the rules. 
<laughs> and I love that you go into the Continental and John Wick sits down and Zero sits like right next to him, very uncomfortably, very close, like touching shoulders. <laughs> and I'm like, why is he doing this? It's because he is a big fan. He's got the biggest grin on his face. Yes, he's so happy to be with John Wick. This is where he's really fanboys out. I thought he was going to ask for an autograph. And he's like, we're the same. And Wick is just like, no, we're not. Now, I mentioned that there was a callback here. Wick has his dog again because the concierge kept the dog. That's why I love the concierge is he takes good care of that dog. And when Wick goes to see Winston, he says, sit, stay. And the dog sits and stays. But what does Zero do? He sits back on the sofa and he stays there. I took that as you think you're the same as me. You're the same as my dog. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, a little, little hierarchy. I'm just disappointed after seeing what Sophia's dogs could do. Wick's got this pit bull. It never really does much, even though there's going to be a big fight in the Continental. It hangs out in the safe with Winston. He's had four days with this dog. How much attack training can he give? <laughs> it's like a pit bull, though. That thing should be mean. No, that's the myth. Pit bulls are very loving dogs unless you abuse them. <laughs> I think it would take away a little bit from the highly trained tactical dogs of Sophia if John Wick's new dog also got into the action. I think that works well in the middle of the movie, and we can leave the dogs aside for the big climax here. Justin, you called out Bruce Lee fighting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when John Wick faces that giant. I feel like they try to recreate, and they kind of did it in John Wick too, the mirrored room scene in Enter the Dragon. They got their own spin on it, and Winston's in this... I'm not even sure how to describe it. It's a room full of glass and like some of the glass panes, you have to know that they're there and walk around them. It's very confusing until you get a fight scene and you kind of figure out the physics of it. But it's this big, just room full of glass panes and windows and crystal skulls, I think. Yes. (laughs) It's like a museum designed by Apple, like the Apple store. If you went to that in New York, how it was all glass. It had glass floors and everything. (laughs) Only instead of frosted glass, it's regular glass. And the crystal skulls, it's like extra props from the Indiana Jones film. <laughs> or maybe the solo set. Who knows? They had a crystal skull in that. But Winston says, yeah, this is the room he uses when you want to see what's under the table. I am taking it. You can't hide any weapons or anything because everything's glass. There's even a floor below the floor they're on. So you could, I guess, look up and see if they're hiding anything. Yeah. Now, did you guys understand where this room was because at first it looks like it might be at the top of the continental because you're seeing city buildings outside but i'm now thinking that was all just screens and this is somewhere deep inside of the continental not necessarily the top floor i don't think the buildings we were looking at were actually there i think this is a fortified room not a glass cage on top of the building it should be the roof of the building because you can see the sky out of the top But later, we're going to be on the roof of the building, and you don't see this. So I think what Justin's saying is that the perimeter isn't windows, it's walls with screens, and everything else is glass. But that doesn't make sense either. I think I just need, like, a schematic of the hotel. Or maybe (laughs) they can put the hotel in Fortnite so I can walk through it and see where this room is. (laughs) Just like those Star Wars cross-section books, they got to do a John Wick one of the Continental. (laughs) (laughs) Did you guys think Wick was going to kill him? No, I didn't. I'm like, because I figured either he's just going to walk in and shoot him, and that's not what he does. 
Again, it's about setting up that impossible task that we've heard about since the first film, and that's what they've been trying to do, you know, always put him in some impossible situation, so I'm like, okay, he doesn't want to kill Winston, That's I don't believe that's going to happen, unless they're just wrapping up the whole John Wick series and they're not going to do a four, but... I don't even understand why he really lets them live. I guess they're just buds. That's where it gets a little murky here. I mean, we're in this situation because Winston did kind of scuttle the rules a little bit for John. And now John's back and he's going to completely ignore the rules for Winston. So I guess what we're seeing is as much of a friendship as you can have in this world. And he says he'd rather die at the hands of a friend. So Winston appears to be okay with whatever John is going to take, but he's also just layering the guilt on thick. Do you want to live as this man? What would your wife think of the choices you're making? And at the end of this movie, I'm a little bit confused as to Winston's overall motivation. I think I figured it out upon reflection, but as I'm in the theater... They wanted to end for part four? <laughs> That's the only <laughs> reason I can figure out. Wick pretty quickly decides not to kill Winston. He went in there like he was going to kill Winston, but he very quickly says, no, I'm not going to. I can't understand, and maybe this shows something about me, but I don't understand how you can cut off your finger, but then decide not to shoot a bitch. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah, he's giving up his wedding ring. The reason he wants to live to remember his wife. He doesn't have some grand plan in mind. Like, I'm like, okay, he must have something where they're going to kill everyone. And I think that's where if we get enough sequels, we'll get that. You know, if you want peace, you got to prepare for war. And we've got three films now preparing for war. At some point, I think we'll get that. And that will be his ultimate out. But that's not this film. I can't understand if he went there thinking, when I get to Winston, we can figure something else out, but at least I'll be with Winston, because the Elder didn't offer him a deal he liked, or if he changed his mind about killing Winston because of the guilt trip Winston laid on him. I'm just very confused about motivations at this point, but... The action is good. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. When I don't always like the setups in John Wick, at least you usually get some fun. And the deconsecration of the Continental, the adjudicator is like, decommission it. You, again, you get the operators. And I just love like that steampunk feel where they got these like old keyboards and they look like old Macs or something with the black and green screens and the <laughs> switchboards. Like, I, again, I love this world. And yeah, so it's fun. To, it's decommissioned. They're telling all the patrons that they're fumigating it, I think, and so everyone's leaving. I thought they just said this is deconsecrated. People are racing out. And so because it's deconsecrated, they could be attacked at any moment. Yeah, I mean, the protections are gone. So if you're in there seeking asylum, all bets are off. I did wonder if we were going to see mad chaos where like assassins are shooting each other because there's <laughs> bounties on them and they could do it now. But no, you get a pretty big action scene and I do feel like there's lots of shooting. I do feel a little bit let down because we've seen so much creativity when this high table SWAT team comes in and they're in this full armor. Again, I like the little details because they're in this armor. John and the concierge, like he gets to actually do some action now. And I guess there's a whole team of concierge that grab guns and go shooting. But like John will like pull their helmets down and shoot them in the back of the neck because that's the only way to get them. I do like those little details. Yeah, you know we're getting near the end boss because now the thugs are harder to kill. You can't just pop them with one bullet. You've got to get some armor-piercing bullets or bigger guns. 
you have to go back down and get these giant armor-piercing bullet rifles. No shotguns. Is there armor-piercing pellets? I know there's armor-piercing bullets. I don't know how it works with a shotgun, though. Shotguns are just pellets that scatter. I don't know how you make them so they have a point that goes forward. If they're piercing armor, just make the bullets out of that and use those. Those are much more accurate. (laughs) But it does, in the video game style, it sets up limited amount of ammo, and we see that throughout the fight. I do appreciate that with these John Wick films, because going back and watching 80s and 90s action films, those 9mm never run out of bullets. They never got to change the clips. Like, we'll see John Wick putting on a whole belt of clips and running out of bullets. I do, again, like the details. I may be showing a little bit of gun naivete here, but I think I caught a miss. When he and the concierge are getting ready to go, and they both pump their guns, it looks like a shell gets caught halfway in and halfway out of Wick's shotgun. (laughs) It may have, but I like the sound design too. Like when they shoot those shotguns, you could hear those plastic shells like hitting the ground. Good sound work here. Oh my god, in IMAX, it wasn't good sound work, it was literally painful. I could feel the bass and everything was shaking, and there's so many shotgun blasts that I really started to wince. (laughs) It's all looking gorgeous, and as they're fighting through this maskless, faceless horde of assassins that are harder to kill, we get back to the spa, and we get a scene in the pool where John has to kill one underwater, and they kind of sneak a little bit of bullet time in here. We get underwater gunshots. <laughs> I do watch, you know, there's a whole thing on YouTube of people like, how many iPhones can I shoot a bullet through? And at late night when I'm uh, tired and laying in bed and trying to fall asleep, I watch those videos. I've seen so many videos of like, let's shoot a gun underwater and see what happens to the bullet. And automatic guns do not do well underwater, so I like that. Like the bullet comes out and kind of just drops to the ground. Yeah, I've seen in like CSI shows and things, the ballistic test where you shoot into water because you want to see. I learned this in my crime class in high school. Every gun leaves a different marking on a bullet, like a fingerprint. So if you have a gun, you can shoot it into water like this and look at the markings on the bullet and compare it to the bullet used in a crime if you have a good sample and know that this was your weapon. And so I didn't even think about it underwater, but yeah, he was far enough away that the velocity of the bullet was completely taken and the response get right up on him with that uzi i'm again i'm surprised it's still fired but wow at the way the blood just comes out really these movies are gorgeously shot oh yeah the way they use all their environments and the way they use their sets their lighting they're visually impressive Well, and one of the other things I noticed is they're running around. I think this is the basement or something. They're like in a storage room and there's like a couch with blood all over it and like a taxi door with blood on it and bullet holes through it. I'm like, I would have to go back and rewatch like one to see, is that couch? Is that when that assassin or Willem Dafoe is like shooting at John Wick and they place that there as an Easter egg? I can just imagine what's going on at the Continental and they just, you know, we got to, I got to take out this bloody couch to the garbage now. (laughs) It very much felt like if you're paying enough attention, here's some Easter eggs for you. I I did catch that too. The bloody taxi door was very much telling a story that I didn't necessarily make the connection to. But here's my complaint if I have one. The movie is a little over two hours long. There's only so much action I can take. I'm starting to be like, I know where this is going. Killing two busloads of assassins is fun, but 
they're taking their time with it, and I kind of want to see where it's going. I'm on the edge of my seat for where the plot is going, and the action is delaying getting there. That's what I'm saying with this big shootout. We've had so many stylized fights, fighting a giant with a book, and motorcycles and horses, and, and all that... We already saw a straight shootout in Casablanca. Like, that was a straight shootout. Yeah, there were some dogs taking out people, too. But I feel like, oh, we're just going to redo that. And it does go on too long. Like, let's get back to the ninjas. Let's get to the fun stuff. And thankfully, after this scene in the pool, Zero is waiting for John. You're right. This is where the action starts to take its toll on me as a viewer. Because after this prolonged gun battle, it's like, okay, finally, we're getting to the big boss battle. But before that, we have yet another prolonged fight with the ninjas. Yeah, that's what I couldn't take. Yes, it's, it's starting to feel like, okay, enough is enough. Let's start to wrap this up, shall we? It's again, like I said, with the video game, I want the boss battle. Zero is standing atop the glass floors like Donkey Kong, and Wick has to go up the stairs. Yeah, he, he's just appearing and disappearing and reappearing using those ninja skills. But he fights these two ninjas, and it's a good sword fight. I mean, it's just... If you've ever been to a Vegas buffet, the food is really good, but you can only have so much, and then you start feeling too stuffed, and that's where I'm at with this. The action is just as good as it ever was. I'm just done binging on the action, and the two assassins get Wick down with the knife to the throat, but their fans also, they let him live? Why did they let him live? They made a mistake there, because now they're both going to die. I mean, this isn't like tennis, where it's best two out of three. I think they thought they had the upper hand, but we also have Zero saying, no, they never were going to kill you. That's my job. So I guess they're just there to wear him down. You know, there is a callback to an earlier scene in the film when John goes to the ballet theater. He, you know, empties his pockets and they're like, take off your belt. He takes that off. At, in this fight, he takes that belt off and we see why the Russians at the ballet theater made him take that belt off because that's a weapon for him. Everything's a weapon for John Wick. And I, again, another callback to Ruby Rose and what happens with her character and two, he stabs her. Remember, she was deaf and she signed languages. She's like, I'll be seeing you. And he's like, no, you won't. These guys say that to him too. We'll be seeing you. And he's like, no, you won't. Mm-hmm. And then we go up to zero and the final fight is there. And this is, again, a long fight. We know how it's going to go. I knew they were going to go through the floor because you saw the floor get a little damaged by bullet fire earlier. I'm like, somebody's going to crash through that thing now. That's not safe. Yeah, I mean, that was very much set up. You know, now we're on levels and somebody's going through that floor. Everything in this room has been broken. I mean, it's all glass. We've got crystal skulls shattering all over the place. <laughs> I thought those were going to be used as a weapon. Wick gets knocked through so many glass cases and... Admittedly, these are the stunts Keanu didn't do. He said if it's a kick or a punch, it's him. If it's a fall, the stuntman comes in. <laughs> <laughs> and Arnie, you said earlier, and it is still impressive for somebody in this 50s to be doing this much action and stunts on his own, but there are a few shots in this scene where it, he's showing his age. I mean, he, he looks like a 50-year-old dude who just ran around the block five times, and he looks winded. His body language looks a little bit defeated. Are you saying he's getting too old for this shit? Maybe. I mean, I think I'm saying it without saying it, but yeah, I mean, it's if we're going to believe that he's this action hero that can take so many punches, it's working for the most part, but there are a few cracks in the armor here that I don't think the filmmakers intended to put on screen. I noticed that as well. There are times where he looks like he is winded and like they should have yelled cut and let him rest for 20 minutes. <laughs> he does stab Zero through and Zero also 
I think it's like Ruby Rose again. We get that moment where I think we see him die, but it's never entirely clear if he dies. But he says to John, you go ahead. I'll catch up to you. And again, he's now saying we're not the same, but I feel like that's saying I'm going to become what you are. And John just like, no, you won't. Yeah. And he does the same move that he used on Common in part two, where he takes a blade and he uses his hand to like hammer it into his chest. Very brutal, but Zero gets a sword through his chest. And I don't think you walk away from that. Yeah, you never know. I mean, with these movies, people have taken much more horrific injuries. At some point, cyborgs are going to show up, right? Or you just start watching The Matrix and it all makes sense. This is a very Matrix reloaded ending. It's, we're just going to talk it out, guys. Let's stop fighting. Let's parlay. John comes onto the roof too. Parlay. They let him out on the roof. And Winston is like, I want to keep my hotel. And the adjudicator is impressed. This was all a show of force so you could keep your position. But what about Wick? And Winston's kind of turning to John and like, don't worry, I got this, I got this. Oh, I got very worried because I'm like, this movie seems like it's wrapping up and I'm invested in this impossible task. I want some emotional resolution that John Wick is doing this in the memory of his wife and they're going to pull a John Wick 2 here, basically. They're not going to resolve anything. Do you guys think Winston intended to kill John Wick? No. He's got that bulletproof coat. Winston knew that. I think he knew. I got to make it look like there's a good chance he'll live, though, through this. The crazy thing is, though, is like, yes, I would think that Winston's motivation would be to make it look like he's killing John Wick by shooting him. But the fall off that building. That's a brutal fall. There's just no way that you can think, okay, he's going to survive that fall. I mean, he hits his head on metal landings and he bounces off. I mean, that's a four or five story fall and he hits concrete. What really upsets me is the adjudicator looks down first and is like, okay, there's a body there. And then they go downstairs and it's gone. They're like, well, he better not show up or else you're going to be in trouble again, Winston. That's not an ending. That is the end of a chapter to a book and I'm watching a film. What I like, though, is the adjudicator says neither one of us wants a visit from John Wick in the night and it'll be coming at us from above and below. The high table will be pissed that they didn't kill Wick, and John Wick will be pissed that they tried to kill John Wick. But isn't this going back on the deal that Winston set up? He didn't kill John Wick. The body is gone, so deconsecrate the place again and kill Winston. Like, that feels like what the high table should be doing. I kind of agree if you think the adjudicator is telling the high table the body is gone, which I'm not sure they are. The other thing is, why was Winston in trouble with the adjudicator for giving John Wick the extra hour? Because that's not the rules. He should have killed him, like I said. Right, yes. Why did he give John Wick that extra hour? Because they're buds. He likes John Wick. If he had killed John Wick to begin with, he would have never been in trouble. So he kills John Wick to get out of trouble. That takes away the entire reason he was in trouble, thus undermining the character. And then I'm like, wait a sec. He only shot him in the body. As shocked as John Wick was, you could have gotten a headshot. I think Winston knew that Wick would live. Yeah, definitely. I think he thought there was a better than 50% chance that he would live through this. Right. And I guess if that's what the movie is telling us, then I think it's also a little bit bullshit for the movie to show us that fall. He could have very easily made a less fatal fall off that building. I think this movie's trying to have its cake and eat it too. Yeah, because no, did you guys believe he was dead when it shows him on the ground? I didn't. 
I thought it might. I thought this this could be the end. That was going to be the end of the John Wick trilogy. I think there's only one way this series ends. John Wick will be dead. I've thought that from the first film. After he kills everyone, just like the Matrix. Actually, no, the other option is John Wick becomes the Elder. Oh, yeah. The Chosen One. Yeah, again, it's the Matrix. <laughs> But we, sh- we show up back at the Bowery. Yeah, the TikTok man picked him up. The guy you guys talked earlier with the big beard who worked for the Bowery King and somehow survived the onslaught. Picks him up in a shopping cart. <laughs> you know, I prefer a gurney, but okay. <laughs> and just <laughs> dumps him out of the shopping cart, too. No sympathy. Nope. And this is where we learned that not only did John Wick survive, but so did the Bowery King. They're both alive and they want to know if John Wick is pissed. All right, I think John Wick has a catchphrase, and I didn't notice it till I watched all three movies in two days. His catchphrase is, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the end of it. Are you pissed, John Wick? And he like gets up and Keanu looks and almost breaks the fourth wall. And it's just, yeah. I'm like, is that your phrase? (laughs) If you had a talking John Wick figure, would you push the button? Yeah. And it's so Keanu. I I did watch John Wick 2 with Marjorie. I'll never watch John Wick 1 with Marjorie. Oh, yeah. I watched John Wick 2 with Marjorie. And she was talking about how he still sounds like a surfer. And I'm like, yeah, but it's so great because he's around all these people with either European accents or wonderful enunciation and all so refined. And then he comes in and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can take Keanu out of Bill and Ted, but you can't take the Bill and Ted out of Keanu. <laughs> you can't. He's going to be in Bill and Ted 3 next. And will they have to delay John 4 because of it? Or will he go straight from Bill and Ted into John Wick 4? Let's see how excited you guys are for John Wick 4. Justin Jacob, do you recommend John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum? Justin. You know, I have such a weird relationship with this series because it was not something that I would have chosen for myself to watch, but I was pleasantly surprised by that first movie. And was happy to leave it there. But then years later, we found out they're making a sequel. And I was like, all right, this will be fun to go back to. And I watched that movie and I enjoyed it. And then here we are again, just two years later, talking about John Wick once again. And it's a franchise that keeps pulling me back in, even though I'm not excited about going there. But while I'm watching these movies, I'm enjoying them. I mean, they're shot very, very well. I mean, there's I can't think of very many things they did technically wrong. They're gorgeous. The lighting in every one of these scenes is so well thought out. I mean, they've got red-blue lights. They've got orange-blue lights. They're using lighting to set the proper mood, and it just looks gorgeous throughout. And it's very competent with all the action. But what it's lacking is a story. The story here, I feel like, is enough for one movie. Or maybe a Netflix series. If they were going to tell the story over the season of John Wick on Netflix, over 10 episodes that are an hour long, I think you've got something here. But after I get done watching these movies, they keep dragging it on to try to get me to come back again, which is fine. I will. But it's not the story that keeps me coming back. It's the good action that I think is awesome. But like Arnie, like you said, a great buffet, you can only eat so much before you're stuffed. I mean, if I'm going to go skydiving and it took two hours to land, yeah, that first half hour might be exhilarating. But after a while, you're just like, all right, are we done yet? And this movie gets close to doing that. I'd never got so bored that I checked out, but it went right up to the line. It did. Like, by the time we're at the fight between John and Zero, I'm about ready to check out. I'm like, okay, I'm done with all the fighting. Let's wrap this up. But I think it walks that line, and it keeps the interest right there, right through the end. 
and it says, are you ready for another chapter? And if the answer is it's coming out next week, my answer is no, I'm not ready for another chapter. If we have another couple years, yeah, I might have a nice little bit of amnesia and be excited to ready to go back. But right now, I'm not ready to go back. I'm not excited about it. But for this movie, I still like it. If you've been along for the ride this long, I think it's an easy recommend because it ups the game on everything the other movies have done right. So yeah, I'm going to recommend this one with the tentative eh, for a John Wick 4. Jacob. Yeah, Justin, you took one of my ideas is make this a Netflix series. If you're not going to give us endings and I get it chapters, you're reading a book. It doesn't include a story necessarily, but this is a film. It's a different medium and it hurts it for me. I was into the emotion of John Wick trying to remember his wife and, and keep her memory living and then no emotional resolution for that. It come back in four, come back in five. Who knows? And that is frustrating. We've talked about that a lot on Now Playing. I know with Amazing Spider-Man, that was a big reason I didn't enjoy that film because it seemed like here's a lot of setup for other movies, which uh, I guess we got a second one, but we didn't get any after that. Here's the thing, though. I, I just decided, like Marvel, where it seemed like a lot of those phase one and two Marvel films were about going after a shiny rock. And that wasn't the most engaging thing for me. It kind of bugged me. But when I go back and watch them now, I'm like, oh, they're fine. I know it's about a stupid shiny rock that they're all chasing. And I'll, I'll just move past that and enjoy the film for what it is. And I realized that's what John Wick is kind of doing. It's a series. It is not standalone films. I wish they were because we're here to review movies. And I know this is a big reason why I didn't like part two. It was just like, we're going to break the rules just so we can set up part three. We're not going to resolve anything. And so it feels like, yeah, I'm just watching dominoes fall. I don't know it to what end though. But as an action film, a big part of an action film are the action scenes. And you don't get too caught up in story and drama and all that when you want a good action film. And this has that good action stuff. So two, I still a week not recommend because I feel that has really bad pacing issues. It takes about an hour for that story to even kick in. That is the problem when you're doing this kind of storytelling. Is, is this chapter just setting something up for another chapter or is, are we going to get something more self-contained. This one, it's kind of self-contained. There's no real conclusion to the climax, which I think is a shame. If you're going to tell me he's doing all these impossible things, making Faustian deals, I want to see how that plays out and gets resolved. That's part of the fun for me. But great action here. I agree. It gets a little long by the end of it, but I'm into it. I think they struck a better balance than the other two for what I want, where, yeah, you get that realistic gung-fu type action, but you also get some playfulness here with horses and ninjas and swords and all that. So I wish it was self-contained. I'm just going to accept that they're not doing that until whatever the last John Wick chapter is going to be. So I'll give this one a mild recommend. Well, it's three recommends for this. To give an analogy here, sometimes I think about musicians and wonder, how can there still be more combinations of notes to put in a string that have not yet been put in a string in the history of music? How do you come up with a new tune? How do you do that? You need to go watch the Axis of Awesome video on YouTube because they don't. They just keep playing the same tune. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying is I, 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 get just, it. I don't understand musical creation because I'm not able to do that in the least. So I'm not able to understand it. I mean, it's mind blowing because I do love music and with Western music you have like eight tones. So yeah, you have hundreds of years of music based on eight tones. Exactly. And so that's how I feel about stunts in films now is if I was told to do stuff in a film that had never been done in a film as far as stunts go, I'd be like, um, ugh. but they got 
horses kicking people in stables and sword fights on motorcycles. And every time a sequel has the problem of how do you up yourself? How do you continue to improve and go bigger? That's what the damnation of sequels is. People expect bigger. You know, in a TV series, you could have an episode that goes smaller and then another episode that goes big again. But in movies, because you're seeing one episode every two years and you're paying for that individual episode, they have to keep getting bigger. Stahelski and his team, including Leach, I mean, Leach is a producer on this. Those two are still working on each other's stuff. They still own their company together, even though Leach is off doing a film we're going to be reviewing later, Hobbs and Shaw. The other half of John Wick is in Fast and Furious this summer. Yeah, another series where they have to keep upping themselves. <laughs> it's got Black Superman. Can't wait for that. But I am astounded how they're able to do all this and not make it feel repetitive. At no point did I think the action, maybe with the arm bends a little bit. Keanu has so many grapple moves he can do, and they do them regularly when he's hand to hand. And this could be amplified because I watched all three films in two days. But I never thought they phoned in the action. But like Justin, there was just a little more than my appetite for action could take. And I did want to get to the Zero fight faster. That was the one place where I'm like, there's still great action, but I needed the plot to move forward and not just stall while we watch more sword fights and things. And I do wonder, would this just be better as a Netflix series? I don't think they have an architected plot for all these films because they thought this one was going to take place years later they thought they'd go into the creation of the coins in the last one they're lucasing it making it up as they go along but i'd like to know they have a plan to give us resolution someday i don't care if it's chapter 10 but i need to know that keanu is on board for that many installments and I need to know that they're taking us somewhere because every time it feels like the next one would be the last one. It felt like this would be the wrap up of a three act story. No, no, we're going to have a fourth act. And that feels like it's going to be the ultimate battle, right? I mean, it's going to be it's got to be full on war. Yeah, the Bowery King against the High Table. Then will it end like goddamn Chronicles of Riddick with Wick sitting on the throne? Like Riddick at the end of that film? Spoiler alert for a really bad film. <laughs> you can hear about it in our archives. Yeah, I just don't know where this will go, but I like where it's going. It's a definitely a recommend, and this is a series that I applaud because... How often do we get to cover series that are original movies? All these franchises, it seems, are adapted from a source. John Wick was just adapted from what they would like to see in a graphic novel, but an original movie series that is a huge hit. And again, 50 million at the box office, number one spot. Finally dethroning Endgame. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible achievement for an original IP. I admire this film for all it's created and all it's accomplished. I do feel like they're pretty consistent, though. I feel like I'm putting this one right there with two. It is a series. It is a mini series. You can just keep watching so far and have a great experience. But I think home viewing would be wonderful because you could actually like watch an hour of this movie, walk away, you know, kind of walk away from the buffet, let yourself get a little hungry again, catch your breath and then go back. <laughs> I think we're all saying the same thing. If we knew that this series had a definitive end that they were going towards rather than waiting to see what the box office told them to do next. We would all be a lot more into the ride 
But right now it seems like, okay, I'm on the ride, but I can't see the end of the track. So am I still got my arms up screaming in joy? Or am I just kind of sitting back saying, all right, I'm ready for this ride to end. But that's very existential and overthinking. This movie is enjoyable at the time. Yes, very much so. But we keep comparing it to a TV series. When we ended John Wick 2, they were talking about doing a TV series for stars, The Continental. I thought this movie might set it up. I have come to love Ian McShane from this series. I've then seen him in American Gods and some other stuff. This is an actor I really like, and he does a lot of prestige television. I thought maybe he would do a Continental TV series. Or... Yeah, he did Deadwood. Yeah. But he also did that Hellboy, that really bad CGI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the TV series is still in the works, and Keanu and Stahelski are both involved. They have ideas that are going to be very different, but yet tied with the universe. But they might be stretching themselves a little thin because they've also announced a ballerina television series. Based on the ballerina in this film? Based on the Academy here. Oh, boy. Here's the weird thing. Shay Hatton is one of the four credited writers on this movie, and this is the first screenplay credit he has before this movie was made in 2017 his ballerina tv series was sold to lionsgate and then he became a co-screenwriter on parabellum which just so happens to introduce a ballet academy Hmm. so it's almost like he had an idea for a tv series and got in with the john wick people and they're like let's tie this together. Kind of like when you hear a review of La Llorona, we felt like that did to the Conjuring universe, a backdoor tie-in that it was created backwards instead of forwards. See, I think the universe they created here works very well in service of John Wick. I don't know that it works well enough to be a standalone universe. Yeah, that's the thing. I love this universe. I love all the quirky mechanizations of it. But yeah, if they can't keep up this level of action and it's TV, maybe if it's HBO or whatever, premium cable, they could do something like this. But look, I tried watching that Punisher Netflix series and it's a lot of people standing around talking and then like five minutes of shooting (laughs) at the end of each episode. They can't afford this type of action. And and that would be my worry because you take the action out of John Wick. I don't know if I want to just watch a series about the operators. I could see it being a totally different flavor, more intrigue, more mystery. And because Keanu is involved as a producer, I could even see him showing up, you know, like John Wick could cameo in these series. But these movies are good. All three movies I recommend. I say watch them all. But I hope they don't ruin it by trying to be too big. Two television series and an infinite number of movies sounds like it could spoil something that thus far I feel is special. I mean, three movies, it's gotten eight out of nine recommends. I think it's just doing great and they shouldn't ruin it. I can very much agree with that. And I guess that's what I'm talking about, where I don't want this series to be dictated by its success at the box office. I don't want other people to get their hands on it just because there's a buck to be made. Mm-hmm. But we will put John Wick to rest for two more years. We'll be back in 2021. I hope we're back. I hate cliffhanger endings, damn it. 
Yeah, especially with a film. I expect that to be a complete story. So, you know, this might be a 16-hour complete story by the time we're done with it. I do want to see some resolution. And again, I'd be better with it if they did it like Lord of the Rings. Like, if I knew they were just filming back-to-back-to-back, yes. like Infinity War and Endgame. You, you know, my comparison, right now it's like Twin Peaks The Return. Uh, <laughs> episode to episode, I'm intrigued. Oh, I want to see how this all gets wrapped up and resolved. And then it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's so an analogy that gives me nightmares to this day and not in the good way yes don't be twin peaks the return (laughs) but next week on now playing we're going to be leading up to another keanu film we are toy story does he show up in that i don't remember him he will be in toy story 4 as canadian stuntman duke kaboom (laughs) awesome (laughs) okay (laughs) i think that'll be an interesting series i don't know where you stand with it arnie but you and me both coming from that collecting background i do feel like it's a series that kind of becomes a reflection on growing up with toys and collecting and, and what that means to you i am a newbie i saw toy story 1 in theaters once with stewart and that's it (laughs) (laughs) all right never saw sequels never saw tv series this is new to me i I imagine these days that would be a pretty hard person to find yes it was (laughs) i just never saw any of them but yes we're going to be doing that with a couple of theatrical breaks we got dark phoenix coming up but we're leading up to toy story 4 and this friday Our Lethal Weapon Platinum series continues with Lethal Weapon 2, another movie full of action. Yeah, it's the crossover one, part of the Summer of 89 and Lethal Weapon. So we hope you can join us on those shows. Toy Story is on the main feed, free for everyone. Lethal Weapon 2, a donation show that you can find out all the details about all of our donation series, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Is there ugly to our donation series? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or bad? That may be even worse. There's no bad. It's all good, people. I meant the actual movie, the Sergio Leone films. Oh, the movie. The Man With No Name trilogy. I know. And I think there will be good, bad, and ugly in our 1989 retrospective series. And finally, Lethal Weapon. And yeah, we've got some upcoming continuations, too. Men in Black, Child's Play, more toy movies coming out... The same day as Toy Story 4, counter-programming there. (laughs) All of the details are at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Justin Jacob, thank you for joining me. Till next time, no more guns, John. No more bullets. And how about no more TV series? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's John Wick Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Well played, old friend. For more movie review podcasts, visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives. There you'll find hundreds of film reviews including Die Hard, the Jason Bourne series, Constantine, Kingsman, Machete, the Marvel Comics movies, and more. And come back each week for another new movie review. You got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond. You may well find something reaches out and drags you back into its depths. Now Playing relies on listener support to keep operating. 
Let's go to the vault. We have released over 150 donation podcasts through our Podbean page. Available there are series like The Matrix, The Quentin Tarantino Films, Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Aliens, and much more. Links to our Podbean page are available from nowplayingpodcast.com. I need your help. After this, we are less than even. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. You have no idea what's coming to you. Also at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Oh, and remember, you owe me. You don't want me owing you. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests where you can win movies and soundtracks. Tell me, Mr. Wick, is this a formal event or a social affair? Social. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'll try and do the same. Now Playing's John Wick series is produced and edited by Arnie Carvalho. Sometimes you gotta cut a mother. Associate produced by Jason Latham. You do realize that I'm management now, right? So I don't go around shooting people in the head. Now Playing's John Wick series credit narration by Brock. Shall I announce you? Yes, please. The John Wick films and all the audio and music used in this show are the property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Mr. Wick broke the rules. Do you understand the repercussions if he survives? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. What he said. Enough. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. You done, Vigo? We're done. And he has to do the table's build... And he has to do the tables built. No, he doesn't have to do construction for the building. Table. Is he building a table? <laughs> I got an eye thing. It just the eye is makes me squeamish. Oh my god! Yeah, the eye thing. This bothered me here. Uh, don't see Brightburn, Jacob. There's yeah, a scene I, really I know wheeled. you want to see Brightburn, but they show that in the trailer. Lady with glass in her eye. Oh my god. <laughs> They've released an R-rated clip of her removing the glass. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they even said, you know, this is the Casablanca of Morocco. So, yeah, I think they pretty much made that pretty clear. The Continental of Morocco. What did I say? The Casablanca. Casablanca, (laughs) which is also the Casablanca of Morocco. Toy Story will be on the main Freed, free for everyone. Freed. Made it on the main Freed. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, you might want to redo that. <laughs> I was just trying to roll through it. <laughs>